Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day. I'm John McCaskill, and my guest today is Dr. Janelle McCauley. Janelle is a combat veteran who served 20 years in the U.S. Air Force as a pilot, commander, special operations consultant, and professionalism instructor. With her innovative leadership style, she was the first leader to introduce mindfulness as a proactive performance strategy within the U.S. military. She continues to consult with the DOD, DOJ, and Corporate America, delivering keynotes in a high-performance warrior mindset training program called Warrior's Edge, which she developed with Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks and Dr. Michael Gervais. She is a TEDx speaker and mother of two who is on a mission to help individuals excel in high-stress and rugged environments by showing them how to learn, lean into each moment to find their best selves. And we're going to learn a lot more about Janelle, her work in the Air Force, mindfulness, high performance, and warrior's edge. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. But before we jump into the conversation with Janelle, I'll go ahead and stop here for a quick plug for our sponsors. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is combat veteran and mindfulness expert, Dr. Janelle McCauley. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you so much for having me, John. I'm super excited to be here with you and your listeners. We are so excited to have you on, on with me today. And, and obviously, I follow you closely on social media, and we've chatted in the past. And you're doing so much good to really get the knowledge out there of, of these life-changing and life-saving practices. And you've been doing it for a while, and obviously, we're going to get into that. Uh, so I look forward to sharing more of your knowledge uh, here with our audience today. That said, before we get into any questions, I'm starting today's show and every show by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and why we're doing this show. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. That all said, we'll go ahead and get into the questions. In the intro, uh, as you heard, I covered a little bit about your professional career, which we'll get into here in a bit. But for our listeners, what else can you tell us about you personally? kind of stuff that is not in Janelle's bio. Well, I actually grew up in a family of public servants. Uh, my grandfathers were uh, part of the Marine Corps, as well as my mother's brother. So my uncle um, was a helicopter pilot in the Marines. Um, I, maybe that's why I went to the Air Force, because my <laughs> entire family 
had served in the, the Marine Corps. And um, my, my father was a police officer. My uh, mother was a nurse. And so I think from a very young age, I just always knew that I had some type of calling toward public service. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what capacity that would be in as I was growing up. Um, but I do tell, you know, a story in my TED talk where my dad, when I was, gosh, I mean, even starting at the, the age of seven, all the way up through my high school years, he would tell anyone that would listen that I was going to grow up to be a submarine warfare commander or a combat pilot. Oh, wow. And yeah, like it just was something that, and, and in fact, um, when I asked him where that came from, you know, later in life when I, when I was you know, I remember it distinctly, but I never knew like the, the starting point, you know, why did he start saying that to strangers and, and random <laughs> people that we would meet? And he said, he said one day he was, he was on his lunch break or something. And he, and he saw this um, magazine sitting in kind of the break room and it was a military focused magazine. And on the cover, it had this you know, man standing in front of a tank representing the army. There was a man standing in front of a submarine, you know, representing the Navy and, you know, a man standing in front of like a fighter jet representing the Air Force. And it was kind of like the future of combat operations kind of theme. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, why couldn't my daughter be standing in front of that magazine? Um, Why is it just represented by men? And at the time, you know, this was the 80s and, you know, women couldn't even... Um, apply for those jobs. And so it was really interesting, I think, for him to kind of have that vision for his daughter to, you know, be a professional in that capacity. And so I think that that's kind of what started that. And then he just, he was really good about, you know, helping me see a future that I couldn't see for myself at the time. And it's actually go, this is what my whole book, I'm writing a book right now. Oh, is that really was going to be one of my on. questions later. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And it's all is anchored on a quote my dad used to tell me when I was younger. So this all ties together. He used to say, vision is the art of seeing the invisible, which is a quote by Jonathan Swift. And mm-hmm. it's, and not like a super well-known quote, but, you know, it was one that resonated with him. And he would always say that to me, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean that there's not a future that you can build that will include something that you can see for yourself. So it was that idea of building those visions. And when you're a young child, right, like you don't know what society puts barriers on for you. You don't know what you're capable of. Um, or what potential is out there. And so I think as parents, part of that is, you know, building that confidence and that vision for our children and helping them to develop it. Now, one thing that my dad was really keen on is that it's not about seeing this impossible vision, right? Yeah. Like you, you have to have hard work and talent and resourcing and skills and all of those things are vitally important, um, to, to kind of seeing that vision for your future. Uh, so it's not just built in magic and rainbows, and, you know, <laughs> like I, if I, if I believe it, I will be it kind of thing. Um, you know, it has to be rooted in reality, but I think that was something that he was really, he really harped on is that just because of my gender, like that shouldn't hold me back. Um, 
from being able to do things that I, I can see for myself. So yeah, so that was really powerful for a young girl. And it, I think, set me on this path where I knew that hard work and drive and resourcing and talent and having a vision were, were necessary to achieving my dreams. However, what I've learned across the course of, you know, the reality of life, especially in today's world where stress and distraction are all competing for our, you know, our attention and our focus. And we basically have this ancient brain living in a modern world that's not very well adapted right, um, to right, the speed at which right, it operates. Right. One thing that I was missing for the majority of my career was that the middle piece, which is what I call command of your mindset. Um, so you need hard work training, you need proper resourcing, um, but you definitely need command of your mindset to find a sustainable path for your success. And so my story really came out of you know necessity. I was struggling. I was very successful, but very unhappy. Um, and so when I went back to school to get my PhD, that was, you know, you're, you're supposed to sit there and think about what strategic problem at my, my degrees in strategy. So it was what strategic problem do we want to solve with this research and study? And I really wanted to solve that problem for myself. And I knew if I did it, I could help others, right? Like how do we get command of our mindset so that we can sustain our performance and our success and our joy and our happiness, you know, along the path of life. And so I really dove into this idea of how do you build the most badass, high-performing human weapon system, nice. not only to execute nice. the military's mission and achieving those national strategic objectives, but how do we do it so that we can have that contentment um, in, in our lives and find joy um, in, along the pathway and journey. So, Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. I want to go back to a couple of things there. So your your father telling you about or telling strangers about what you were going to do in being a either a submarine commander or, or a, a pilot um my daughter who's just about to turn three years old now um she was playing across the street with a little boy and she mentioned something about being a jet pilot <laughs> and as a as a little girl and he and he said well you you can't fly jets because you're a girl and uh, she came home and told oh. me that she was like, hey, dad, you know, little girls or girls can fly jets. And I was like, that's not true at all. And so I made her a, a little cardboard plane uh, out of a, like an Amazon box that had been delivered that day and, and put her in the jet, uh, you know, quote unquote jet. And I was like, see, you can fly jets. You can do anything you want to. But but uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's it's an amazing world that we live in that. You know, in this day and age, <laughs> some some little boys are still under the impression that uh, that girls can't do things. But uh, I probably should go across the street and have a little educational heart to heart with him at some point. <laughs> so definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, it's it is sad to think, you know, because twenty five years ago, or actually, like probably, I guess, thirty years now, and thirty plus. You know, when w women weren't allowed to do those things, you know, and I remember watching Top Gun and asking my dad that same exact question, like only, you know, the boys flew the planes. Why? Right. How is that fair? And, you know, you would think we've come so far now, but it still is a, a prevalent thought in our in a stereotype today. I mean, I talked to my daughter's fifth grade class a couple years ago and brought in a helmet and I wore my flight suit. And, oh, that's so cool. You talk to them about. Yeah. And there were still boys in the class that were like, wait, your mom flies planes? What? 
how is that possible? And I think we're just, we're just still as a society, just not fully accepting, um, those gender neutral um, roles in a lot of the different professions that we have. And I think that we still have a long way to go. And I'm hoping, you know, my son is seven and if we walk on a plane and saw a female pilot, he wouldn't think twice about it. Right. right? Because he's grown up with that. Well, my mom's a pilot, so of course women fly. And so I just hope that we can continue to change that narrative and um, increase the education around um, the potential for for women and men to equally be able to have the opportunity. You know, they still have to have the commitment, hardware training, all that, all that stuff, Um, but to achieve whatever profession they want. Right. So, you, you've also had uh, a lot of success, or it appear, appears to be that you've had a lot of success in actually teaching some of the stuff that you learned, uh, getting your doctorate. You taught that while you were still in uniform. Um, how was that? And how, was there a lot of red tape in teaching that? Um, and the reason I ask is, as I've started to kind of become a, a mindfulness practitioner and, and teacher, um, I've, I've had some red tape uh, thrown in my face and, and had trouble teaching it. Um, were, were there any kind of roadblocks thrown in your, uh, in your way when you were trying to teach that? Of course, yes. And I think there are two reasons why I was able to be you know, effective, um, kind of bringing mindfulness into uh, the, the Air Force in particular. Um, one aspect of it is that when I studied it, researched it, like it was a personal journey for me. Mm-hmm. And so everything that studied in my research, like I tried out for myself, whether it was battlefield acupuncture or, you know, mindfulness meditation or different nutrition, you know, aspects of how to change my diet and, and look at nutrition in a new light. You know, I was kind of experimenting along the way as I was doing the research and I was finding such a powerful influence in my day-to-day life and how I was showing up, how I was performing, not only as a professional, a pilot and a leader, but as a mom. And so when it becomes holistic and and just a part of what you do, um, and it it was easier, right? Like I I won't say um, easy, but it was easier for me to kind of stay the course because it was so impactful in my life. Like I really didn't, care, you know, if people were talking about it or having skepticism, um, because I knew the truth in my own journey and, and I just wanted to live that more, um, and be the the role model. I think that the people that I led and interacted with in the military needed, right. Most people were like, I was, you know, a few years before struggling and suffering and, you know, not being able to live a present life or enjoy success as I achieved it throughout my career. Right. Right. As soon as I was at a moment success, I was waiting for the bad thing to happen, or I was Mm -hmm. catastrophizing about the future or stressing, right? I couldn't even enjoy the moment. And so I felt like if I could just be a role model, um, that was a, the first way to start implementing this change within the military. So that's really where it started. And then part of the journey, as I know you have probably gone on with mindfulness is I have really stopped, um, paying attention to what other people think, right? And we talk about it in the Warrior's Edge program, which I know we'll get into later. And this comes from, I think, um, some of Dr. Brene Brown's work and then Dr. Michael Gervais, one of my uh, co-workers with Warrior's Edge and co 
co-developers, we talk about FOPO, right? Fear of other people's opinions <laughs> and how FOPO can really hold you back, right? As an individual, like you don't, you're so scared and worried about what other people think that you don't want to take risks or grow or, or, or learn. Um, you know, you see failure as not a path to your true potential, but a barrier to it. Right. And I think once you've done right. some of this deep mindfulness work, you start to reassess and think, well, it doesn't matter if this person is skeptical about what I'm doing or critiquing it or being that critic, right, from the cheap seats. I just have to do what I think is right in these moments. And so I think that journey for me helped, um, you know, kind of break down some of those barriers within the military. And then lastly, um, one of the first things that happened to me and my command, because I had just finished my PhD and I took command of a unit. And so I went in with the mindset of I'm going to lead by example. I'm not going to push this on other people, but I'm just going to lead by example and share what I can when I can. And so I started slow, but within the first few months of my command, I lost an airman and his death kind of shook our squadron. It shook sure. me. Um, sure. I kept thinking, and this is kind of the, the thought process I went through is that, you know, I did have some fear and, you know, I was hesitant to go all out with this material, especially introducing something like mindfulness in an operational military unit. Um, there was fear behind it. And I just kept telling myself, I think the pain of regret, knowing that I had something I could have shared with people to help them get command of their thoughts, to help make them ha have better decision-making skills and to be higher performing. Like if I just kept that all to myself and I didn't share it because I was fearful of what other people think, right? The fearful, the FOPO. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that mm -hmm. the pain of regret later, if something else were to happen to someone would be worse. And so I just pushed through that FOPO and that pain and um, decided it was the right thing to do as a leader to help equip the people who worked for me. And there were 400 of them with these skill sets. And so I just jumped all in and I never really asked for permission from my bosses. <laughs> it was, it was just, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And, and part of that included things like no email Friday, um, oh, wow. you know, writing personal notes, call parents. Yeah. We did a whole bunch of really innovative things in our squadron that people looked at from the outside with a skeptical eye. But then I think we proved over time how effective it was in creating the culture we wanted for both high performance and happiness and joy. I love that no email Friday piece. I, I need to implement that in my own life. And I know one of the things that you uh, kind of had going last month was no social media on your phone. And that's a, that's a piece that I struggled with, uh, but I, I tried to do as, as well as I could in, in following your lead there. But I, I love that idea of the no email Friday. Um, as far as the, uh, the implementation of, of mindfulness, how was that received by uh, your, your airmen when you first started? So like after you had lost that airman, you started implementing it. How was that received? Well, I think... Um, the best way to describe my journey with bringing mindfulness into my unit is, is with the Colin Powell quote. He says, you know, when you have trust, people will follow you if only out of curiosity. <laughs> and I, th I think that summarizes my experience because when I had started as a commander, 
I, when I was living very as a mindful leader, when I was connecting right at that deep level with the people that I worked with, you know, the first things I started was I, you know, I didn't want to introduce mindfulness. I just taught, taught them about stress, right? I taught them about their stress response, their physiology behind it. And we actually started with a phrase that we called, um, and the senior leaders in my unit, we came up with this together at, an, at a, one of the first offsites we had, and we called it go to the cloud. And so what that meant was if we teach our young airmen about their physiology and what's happening when they get stressed, right? That, that stomach, you know, butterflies in the stomach, yeah. heart starts racing. You start thinking emotionally rather than rationally. When that happens, I want them to first have an awareness that it's occurring, right? That's the education piece. And then I want them, the skill would be to step back, take two deep breaths and go to the cloud. And that's where we started because it was something that wasn't, you know, as deep as meditation or as kind of, uh, that had the appearance of the Scott soft skill, like, you know, mindfulness would, it was more, Hey, in those moments, we want to have control of our thoughts and our decision-making. And the best thing we can do is step back and take those two deep breaths, mm -hmm. tell ourselves to go to the cloud for a second, right? Separate from the stimulus and then respond in a rational way. And so it was funny because you would hear people in the hallways kind of tell people, you know, their, their buddies like, dude, you need to go to the cloud. <laughs> um, I love it. Or some, some of my you know, leaders would come to me and say, ma'am, before we share this news with you, we think you should go to the cloud for a few minutes and then we'll come share it. Um, and so it kind of came a buzz phrase within, within the unit. And honestly, they started coming to me and asking me, well, what are we exactly doing when we go to the cloud? Mm -hmm. And that became yeah, an introduction for me to explain you know, mindfulness and how we take deep breaths, how we disengage from our thoughts. Um, and how that practice really is like mental push-ups. And if we start doing it more together as a team, we'll be better as an organization and as individuals in the way that we respond to our stress and to the adversity and challenges we face. Absolutely. So um, that's really, yeah, that's really how it started. And then, you know, I consult with a lot of leaders all the time. And, and one of the most effective ways I think to do this is with a mindful minute, like when you have your meetings, mm -hmm. because it's a way for everybody mm -hmm. to like reset before information is presented. It's a way for everyone to kind of like hone their focus and attention to the tasks at hand, because you know, how many times do you go to a meeting and you think that's an hour of my life? I will never get back all the time um, because we're right. We're all distracted yeah. and, and no one's paying yeah. attention or everyone has their phones out and they're, you know, reading an email when they should be listening to what's the conversation at the table. And so I started with the science and I told them, okay, 20% of our attention is already taken away just by having our cell phones on our person. Mm -hmm. And so let's all leave our cell phones mm -hmm. out for the meeting, right? Nobody has cell phones on them. So we have 20% of our attention back at the table. Then I said, research also will tell us that if we do something like a, a mindful minute, which is really a cognitive preparation for honing your attention system for the task in front of you. And so if we do this mindful minute before the meeting, we will also in the end, right, ultimately decrease our meeting time because people are more focused and attentive. Right. And everyone's like, all right, sign me up for that. Right <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Skeptics. There were people that were like, I'm not really sure what she's doing or what this is. And I just, I just ran with it and I started it and I never asked for permission. I just kind of said, this is how we're going to um, start our meetings. And I think 
one reason why some of the people I consult with will start this way and then they stop. And it's because one of the first times they do a mindful minute, they will open their eyes and look around the room and see that there will be out of say 25 people sitting there, maybe three people that are rolling their eyes or slumping in their chair or not wanting to participate. That is always going to happen. Right. 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 But then they let those three people right? Then make the decision for them that, oh, this isn't working. I'm not, people hate it. I'm not going to do this anymore, which is exactly what mindfulness helps us help, you know, prevents us from feeling and thinking, right? Because you are creating a story based on why those three people are rolling their eyes, which maybe they're just having a bad day, or maybe like they're thinking about something else, or maybe they don't like what you're doing, but now you're going to not have that available to the other 22 people in the room that were actually participating. And but that's how our minds work, right? They create these stories and then they make us feel like, oh, people are hating it. So I'm going to stop and I'm never going to do this again. And I think that's one of the skill sets I really mastered while I was in command is that I didn't pay attention to the stories that were, you know, my, my mind was trying to create around that space. I knew the science, I knew research, and I knew it was the right thing to do. And so I just kept pressing forward. And I'll tell you, the hardest crowd are your senior non-commissioned officers (laughs) because they're usually like set in their ways and they don't kind of want, they don't want change. You know, the new commander comes in and trying to do different weird things. Um, but what I have to say is that the majority of them, when I would talk to them as they were like their exit interviews, as they were leaving our squadron to go do other jobs, um, most of them would say something like, ma'am, I I really didn't know how to take you at first when you got here, but I have to say, I trusted you and I went on the journey with you and it changed my life, right? Not just the work, but their family life right? Like they were sharing some of this stuff with their kids, with their spouses, because they're like, my spouse is stressed all the time. What can I do to help them? Oh, wait, I learned this skill of mindfulness. Like, let me try it with my spouse and introduce, um, you know, him or her to it. So that's when I really knew that, you know, that's really my goal as a leader, right? To help the people who worked for me change their lives in a positive way. So, because when that happens, their work performance is going to benefit. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's a piece, uh, you know, in Warrior's Edge that you touch on, too, which I want to get into here uh, shortly. But um, a couple of things that you mentioned there that I want to kind of hit on the the story that you were telling yourself, that's that, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier. And that's a huge thing that all of us have is that negative self-talk or that uh, the story that we tell ourselves, which, in fact, aren't the true stories of what's happening. And going back to, you know, the skeptics in the room affecting other people that goes back to your, uh, your FOPO, your, your fear of other people's opinions, that can really change something that you're doing that is good, like mindfulness, and you see a skeptic roll their eyes, um, that, that story that you tell yourself, how that can negatively affect you, um, even when the story may be like you mentioned, that they may be rolling their eyes because mm-hmm. they're having a bad day, or, or they may be rolling their eyes at something that they saw on their phone. Um, which brings me back to cell phones. Um, and you've worked in the special operations community and know that there's a lot of spaces where you can't have cell phones in, in the military, uh, you know, the skiffs or secret places. Um, you have to leave your cell phones on the outside. And it's funny, um, for the last two years, this has been the first time I've been able to work in a space where you were allowed your cell phone. And initially I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to be able to do so much more uh, while I'm on my you know, while I have my cell phone at work with me. 
But what I found was my work productivity went like tanked because I was focusing on stuff outside of my workspace. And uh, I never really realized just how much of a blessing <laughs> working in a skiff or working in a secret space where I didn't have my cell phone on me all the time was because it allowed me to focus on the work right there in front of my face. And then lastly, that uh, the piece that you mentioned about kind of going into the physiology there, that, that piece I think is huge to kind of get the story across to people. Uh, that's, that's what got me sold on it because in all honesty, I was a skeptic myself to begin. And the site that recommended it when he sat me down and he went through the physiology behind it, that's what got me to buy in. And I was like, okay, so we're, we're tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system instead of the sympathetic nervous system. Our, we can bring our heart rate down just by taking a couple of breaths, like, uh, like you mentioned with the going to the clouds. Uh, I, I love all that. And then the last thing, uh, the senior NCOs, yes, they can be the tough crowd to sell on something. But if you get buy-in from them, then the rest falls into place. And uh, I, I love our, our senior NCOs uh, for that. Once you, once you are able to break that crusty outside, uh, you, can, you can really get so much more done with your, with your people. As far as Warrior's exactly. Edge, um, in the corporate space, have you found there to be some challenges in getting your message, message across or maybe uh, some reticence from the, the C-suite executives on what it is you're, you're teaching? Well, I think there's there's resistance in a lot of different professions, you know, corporate and military and law enforcement, you know, a lot of high stress occupations. And I think that kind of encompasses while we mainly focus on kind of the first responder and military communities with high stress occupations, because we actually work in those rugged environments. I would say a lot of corporate America would um, describe their workspaces as high stress as well. Mm -hmm. They just have different you know, metrics, right? Like they're measuring on profits and deadlines and, and reputations and branding and all those kinds of things. Whereas, you know, lives are kind of on the line with the other, but, it, but the way our physiology works is that our bodies don't know the difference, right? We have the same response sometimes when we're in a life or death situation as, you know, I have been in combat and I'm sure you can just, describe yourself as well with your experience, right? Like the physiological symptoms and experiences that we have are the same combat or carpooling, right? Like right. some days you can feel like those are pretty intense or in a corporate boardroom, right? Um, and so our physiology doesn't really um, discriminate in those scenarios. And so the response and the, 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 the skill sets you need are the same, right? And mindfulness being a valid and appropriate tool in a lot of those scenarios. Um, and so I think, you know, across the board, everyone's experiencing this, but the, the, the difficult part is that we live in a culture and I call it a, a competitive stress environment where we almost put value on how much stress we have in our lives. We almost put value oh, yeah. on busyness. And so when you're trying to come in, especially like as a consultant or, you know, sharing some of this education information, really what I'm telling people to do is slow down to speed up their performance. And that is so backwards to most people. They can't 
comprehend the fact that, wait, if I focus on recovery, if I slow down my thought process with, you know, breathing and mental push-ups and mental skills training, I'm actually going to make myself higher performing and better. Like that just doesn't compute, um, for the average person that's operating in our society. So I think the struggle is real for everybody and it's in all aspects of life. Um, how we deal with it, you know, as part of compete to create, which is the company that Pete Carroll and Mike Gervais founded together, the initial, um, you know, they were taking this mindset training idea and developing it for a corporate client, uh, because they were realizing, Hey, corporations need this type of skill set and resourcing for their bottom lines. And we need to get out of this competitive stress environment that most people in corporate America are suffering from. And, um, when I came in, we all, we had this discussion about how there's also a way to take this material and cater it specifically to the high stress occupations that are on the front lines, the people who actually, you know, put their lives on the line. And so Mm -hmm. we combined our efforts to Mm -hmm. build this high performance mindset training together and warrior's edge is very specific to individuals who work and those life or death, you know, have to make the split second decisions, um, under challenge and adversity in an austere and rugged environments and how to better equip them. And then also, as you just mentioned with the physiology and the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, I think part of the underlying problem, and this is what people don't like to talk about root causes. You know, we just want to put band-aid and be, you know, uh, reactive to current situations. But if you look at most of the maladaptive coping problems that occur in high stress occupations, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's, you know, verbal and emotional abuse to family members, whether it's in, in, you know, uh, having high risk, um, the tendency toward high risk behaviors, or um, even if you go to harassment or psychological disorders rooted in depression or um, attention deficits or even going to the root causes of suicide, everything starts with how our thoughts drive our behaviors, which drive our our performance. Mm -hmm. And so if you Mm -hmm. can get command of your thoughts, I think that we can address um, kind of the root cause for those maladaptive coping mechanisms. And part of the problem is that our high stress occupations, we build war fighters and people who are sympathetically activated, right? Cause that's really where you're at when you're in these high risk situations and, and life or death situations. And so we need to be good in that, um, space. However, we never teach the corresponding value in the parasympathetic. Right. And so really, I think that's, part of the solution, right? We, we need to teach warfighters to be warfighters. We need to teach, you know, police officers and first responders how to be good under pressure. But part of that is teaching them also the relaxation, recovery, and restoration space that is very, is found, you know, in our parasympathetic system. Right. And finding a right. comfortable way to engage there. Um, so yeah, that's, I think the, where the bulk of warrior's edge, um, really addresses that thought process, the parasympathetic engagement, performance enhancing skills for high stress and rugged environments, um, as well as the identity piece. I know a lot of people who wear uniforms and operate in those environments, we get tied to our identity and it becomes who we are. Um, you know, what we do becomes who we are instead of really having that self-discovery space to figure out who am I without this uniform? Because I think that 
also is an issue with most of our transitions, whether you're separating, retiring, you know, leaving your high stress occupation. A lot of people have a very difficult time adjusting to the new normal. And I think that is also a symptom of how we're trained and how we've lived our lives for however many years in that high stress world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can personally attest to that right now as I'm going through transition. And for most intents and purposes, I've, I've hung up my uniform, but I'm still active duty. I retire in August. But even, even the act of coming to work in a civilian outfit every day now, um, advice wearing my military uniform that has my rank on it, it has my badge that says what I do, um, it, that there's so much identity tied to that. Um, and, and kind of losing that identity, it had, I, I will be honest, I thought that I was fully prepared for that. And uh, it, it hit me pretty hard. Like, uh, it, it depressed me for a while. Hey, I, I lost, uh, even though I'm still active duty, not wearing that uniform and feeling as though I've lost a piece of me was depressing. Um, so I, I totally, yeah. I can totally empathize with that that statement there. And um, as I was talking in the intro uh, about your your teaching this proactively, and this is something you and I have discussed in the past, it um, proactive teaching these skills it allows for development of resilience. So it's not something that we only teach after a stressful situation or after depression depression hits in or after anxiety sets in. We can teach it to people up front to address those same situations you were talking about, uh, you know, address potential uh, suicidal thoughts where you can control your mind so then ultimately you can control your actions and, and get the output. So uh, definitely being proactive in uh, these practices uh, I, I, can be life-saving, quite literally, um, in the long run. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. And the the messaging with Warriors Edge is it's you know this elite high-performance mindset training, which is performance enhancing, right? Like the yeah. skill sets we teach, and we teach sixteen principles of mindset that are all based in scientific research and evidence-based practices of being tested in alpha competitive environments. And so everything we teach is rooted in the science. Um, but what we're finding is that the same skill sets we would teach an individual that are performance enhancing are also offering what we've kind of called mental prehab, right? A proactive way to build prevention and resilience and, um, these, you know, prehab strategies for mental strength. And it's something that we just don't talk about. I mean, I'm sure you can probably attest to having been in the military for 20 years and, you know, I, we could train three things as human beings, our body, our craft, and our mind. And the military spends a significant amount of time on the craft, right? That's probably where we spend most of the time, like your job specific skill set. We do have physical fitness programs. So, but we understand the importance of having a, you know, a fit body to doing our jobs, but we neglect the mind. We don't formally train our minds to be able to handle the stress of our jobs. And it's just the gap we have. And what we're finding is when you fill that gap, you can enhance performance and longevity for careers. And you offer, offer that way to build the mental prehab skill sets for that resiliency and ultimately mental strength. 
I love that the mental prehab. I'm uh, in my in my notes for this podcast episode. I'll make sure that's listed as something that we discuss because I've never heard that before. But I love it. it, it just the, what it speaks to and the and what it means. I love it, everything about that. Um, I wanted to kind of shift gears here and just talk a little bit more about uh, you and your background and what it is you're doing outside of the mindfulness uh, sphere. I, I see that you're also a board member with. Team Red, White, and Blue, and, and for our audience who may not be familiar with them, can you tell us what Team RWB does and how they, they being the audience, can get involved? Yes, for sure. I would love to. So I um, am part of Team Red, White, and Blue, and they are really focused in on the community building aspects for veterans. Um, you know, we can have a bunch of resources. And it, but if you don't have the corresponding community, which is an aspect of the military that we get just by being part of the military, right? You have yep. the camaraderie, you have, you know, the, the buddies and the wingmen and, um, people that are there like to take care of you. And then you separate from the military. And sometimes that's one of the biggest aspects that people miss. And so team red, white, and blue is, built to kind of fill that gap for the veteran communities. And it, and it does it in a positive way, you know, back in the day, you know, I think people, there were, you know, the VFWs and ways for veterans to kind of get together and have those social um, interactions with people who had the same story, right. Or similar backgrounds and they could relate to each other and the things they've been through. And those just don't really exist anymore. Plus, we are trying to also shift that community-based interaction from something like, oh, just going to the bar and drinking to, <laughs> hey, let's do activities together, right? Like things that are, we know by the science are healthy ways for people to connect. So whether that's yoga classes, running um, clubs and, or, and uh, hiking groups and just different ways, CrossFit gyms, right, of getting veterans together to kind of rebuild the community, but doing it in a healthy aspect, um, I think is really important. And so my work with Team Red, White, and Blue focuses on continuing to grow those veteran, those positive veteran communities that are rooted in relationships and connection and physical activity. And now we're really branching into the mental aspects, bringing mindfulness into a big part of what Team really? Red, White, and Blue does. Yeah, it's it's kind of the new frontier that I'm I'm helping um, with uh, for for that organization. And you know, one of the the other things is the families. And when I was active duty, I started a nonprofit called Healthy Body, Healthy Life. Mm -hmm. You know, I was an active duty member, but also a spouse. And what I found was, you know, you could teach military members different things. And I was going through a course. And so I was teaching them about meatless Mondays and teaching them about more physical activity and yoga classes. And I realized all these things were being offered to the service member, but nothing was really being offered to the spouse. So I started these smaller groups where I'd volunteer my time to teach yoga classes for spouses or teach them how to make, you know, kale smoothies or just different things that they were really craving more information about. And also craving a community because misery loves company. And a lot of times in the military, you'll find other people who are like, this sucks, or my husband's always deployed, or my my wife is, you know, always gone. And that you bond over those negative experiences. And so healthy body, healthy life, I really want to focus on us bonding over positive experiences. And so it really kind of um, 
was similar to what Team Red, White, and Blue was doing for the veteran communicate community. I was trying to do for the spouse community at, on active duty installations. And so I had to let that nonprofit go because, as you know, there's so much bureaucracy and how you can work with active duty and military family populations. And we were having a lot of difficulty um, getting access to the bases and the communities to build um, amongst the spouses. But I think through Team Red, White, and Blue, the goal also is to kind of expand that community to the vision I had for the spouses and, and, and families as well. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. And people can um, go to the website, Team Red, White, and Blue, learn how they can be a part of their veteran, how to be a part of it. We have local chapters all throughout the world that they can join um, and, and be a part of. And so, and, and also if there's people on there that are looking to donate um, and be part of our community in that way, we would love to hear from you. Awesome. I will make sure I put uh, links to Team Red, White, and Blue in the, in the uh, episode comments as well, or notes rather. So. What is next for you and your family? I think we were covering a little bit of it before the show. I'd love to share that with our with our listeners, if you could t touch on a little bit of what we were talking about before. Of course. So I am currently here in Utah. My husband is still active duty Air Force, and so we live on Hill Air Force Base. And we have just really fallen in love with Utah. We're right outside of Salt Lake City. And so my husband is going to retire after 22 years in the Air Force this summer. And we're building a house here in the Ogden Valley and um, where we can regularly ski and hike and bike and water ski on the lake and um, do a bunch of outdoors activities, which is, by the way, sidebar real quick with Veterans <laughs> Path. I think it's so that you have nature, right? And the outdoors as a part of your, the conversation you are having around, you know, uh, mental strength and mindfulness. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't, un or they underestimate what the outdoors can do for you holistically and for your overall well-being. Because I've Absolutely. just found it to be, you know, I quit, right? I call it getting my oxygen. I go up on the mountain. And I do like two hours of skiing on a weekday and it just resets and recharges me. Um, in fact, in some of my presentations, people always ask me like, what app should I be using to practice my mindfulness? And I always say, oh, nature, you should just use nature. I've had people like reach out to me like, I can't find this app you called nature. It's That's not amazing. That, you know, I and I'm like, no, 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 it's because it's just outside. <laughs> just <laughs> that outside. That is great. I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, yeah, the nature. Yeah, so we fall in love with it. Yeah, it truly does have a, a powerful effect. As, as a matter of fact, I was talking with uh, a, a gentleman this morning, and he was asking me about how he could implement mindfulness in a summer camp that he's putting together. And I was like, well, that's easy. I mean, you've got got hikes and that you'll do and you know time out on the canoe that you'll do and, and whatever and i was like just have them like make a note of a few things that they notice while they're out there you know it's not always about the destination it's about the journey itself and as you're on that hike you know notice some sounds that you're hearing notice some smells notice some sights and and that is mindfulness and he, and he was like oh yeah well, all right i can do that that's easy but yeah there you go but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your uh, your flow there. You're uh, you're in the, in Salt Lake City. You've got the outdoors. You're looking at building uh, a, a house there in Ogden Valley. Yes, and um, as far as professionally, um, I'm going to um, continue to 
just, I want to elevate the message around getting command of your mindset. That's kind of where uh, my focus is with corporate training is helping them understand the value in command, commanding your mindset by, and slowing down to get that. And then how it can amplify your performance, build that mental strength and help you be your best, both at home and at work. And then my warrior's edge programming is really what I am focusing on with my military consulting. And so that partnership with Mike and Pete, in fact, we're right now the, is the official launch. It should come out today. Um, and so we're officially launching the Warrior's Edge program nice. um, for high stress occupations. So we've got we offer both a workshop, an eight hour live training workshop that's taught by a team of two, an elite military operator and an uh, Olympian. And really? so they give both. Yep. So it's uh yeah. And we talk about those 16 principles of mindset. And, um, so that's where we start. And then the second, um, way we offer the material is in digital training. So we've built an eight week online course that individuals or organizations can take. And there's an embedded performance coach inside of it. So you can ask questions. It's very self-reflective, right? It's not your normal. And both of us coming from military environments, we know computer-based training can be very dry. And, yes. Right? Click through the PowerPoint. Yes. So this is a little more interactive. All of our videos are you know, like the educational piece taught by myself or Dr. Gervais or Pete Carroll or, you know, like some uh, members of our team. And then you uh, you're asked self-reflective questions that you answer along the way. You have a notebook, you record everything in. And so it really is a self-reflective journey over the course of the eight weeks. Nice. And, um, yeah. And so I think it'll, and it goes through the same 16 principles of mindset. So the, the in-person lecture is really catered more toward leadership teams so that they can then use the digital training to scale to the rest of their organization. And then they can kind of operate as coaches for the people um, that work for them as they take the course. So, yeah, so I'm really excited to continue, you know, working with individuals in the military, law enforcement, first responders, medical and judicial professionals with Warrior's Edge. And then I'm writing my book. So hopefully um, amidst all of this, uh, my book will, will somehow com be completed. <laughs> um, a huge undertaking, as a lot of people that write books, I'm sure, can attest to. Um, but it is a goal of mine to just kind of write down some of these stories and share, you know, other people who have accomplished, um, things that other people maybe told them that, you know, it was not possible for them yeah. and, and they could still see that vision for the future. And so, um, bringing in mindset as a critical tool for that, I think, um, will be a really interesting analysis of, uh, people who have been successful in the world and hopefully help us understand. Cause we hear all the stories all the time about the CEO who only were asleep four hours a night and is yeah. superhuman and, you know, He's going to tell you how to do things. And so I want to really share the stories of the people who have done it a different way um, and have had just as much success. So hopefully we can get rid of that competitive stress. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, I definitely look forward to seeing that on the bookshelves and uh, it will definitely end up being in my book collection once it's out. So let us know as that uh, work progresses and, and definitely I want to share that and, and help to promote it as you get further down that road.
So that's awesome. Good for you. That was actually my last question was, you know, my, my question, I'll read it, what I had written. I said, with your knowledge and background, it seems like you may have a book in your future. Is that a possibility for you? So boom, yeah. there it is. <laughs> oh, that's there awesome. There it is. There it is. So, well, awesome. Yes. Coming to the end of the show, what have we not discussed that you want to make sure our audience hears? And this, this piece is completely up to you, totally free. You know, the one... Um, the one story that I think resonates with a lot of people about this material and this concept, um, you know, when I was kind of going through my own personal journey and my son was three years old, I remember the story I had in my head was, gosh, I'm commanding this unit. I'm doing all these, these things. I'm killing it in life. And I'm home every night to give my son a bath, right? Like that was something that was very important to me at the time. And as I was bathing him this one night, he all of a sudden just stopped me and he put his little tiny hands on my cheeks and, you know, brought me down to eye level and just said, mommy, why are you so sad? Oh, I really love you, mom. And you know, that was a huge wake up moment for me because the story in my head I was telling myself was, gosh, you're doing everything and you're you're kicking ass at it. And And he was so present. He realized that even though I was physically with him, I was mentally checked out. Like that's what stress does to us. And I was missing that, right? And and here I was applauding myself for being physically with him, but I was completely oblivious to the fact that that physical presence doesn't matter if I'm not also mentally present. And so, you know, I just want to ask all your, your listeners out there, you know, whether whatever's going on in their life, you know, to, to the value in slowing down for the people and the things that are most important to us, right? Like that's, that's what's what we need to focus on. And I think we get caught up in the stress and the worry and the catastrophizing and the stories. And, you know, we mind wander almost half of our waking moments as you know, what the science will tell us. And so learning how to really focus and pay attention to what's right in front of us, um, it will change your life and not just in a way that like, Oh, you're going to be more of a badass at work, which it will, right? Like whether you're a pilot <laughs> yep. or a operator or you're in a transition from a high stress job into your new life, like it will be valuable in all those spaces. But where I have found it to be most valuable is with the people that are most important to me. And so that's just what I'd like to leave your listeners with, because I know we talk a lot about performance and building mental strength and that's all well and good, but it will change your family. Um, no doubt. And that's what's what really life is about. So that's my hope for them. I love it. And that's, uh, I can also personally attest to that. That's, I, uh, I get asked, when did I notice that I was being mindful? Um, and I can, I can attest to you. It was when I was feeding my baby girl, who at the time was about six months old, at, at one point, you know, I, I was feeding her a bottle and my mind was thinking similarly, similarly to what you were. Hey, I'm crushing it. I'm doing great work. And that's what I was thinking about. Hey, what did I do yesterday? What can I do tomorrow? Even while I'm holding this little girl in my hands, feeding her six months old, miracle of life right there in front of me. And I wasn't paying attention to the sounds that she was making. I wasn't feeling paying attention really to much uh, outside of what's next on the agenda, what's next on John's agenda. 
And uh, right. And then after practicing mindfulness for a while, I started noticing that when I was feeding her, I wasn't doing that. And I was paying attention to her little squeaks and little noises that she was making and, and her little hands reaching up and grabbing mine. Like you mentioned, you know, your, your, your son's reaching up and pulling you down and saying, oh, why are you so sad? You know, obviously my daughter wasn't old enough to say that to me at the time, but she was right. reaching up and just touching my hands and I was paying attention to it. And, and I was like, oh, wow, this is completely different. And the experience that that was, was literally life altering. Um, and, and that when people ask me, so how did you know, how, when did you realize that it was making a difference? That was it, more so than anything else. I mean, I, I noticed that I was more productive and focused at work and I was communicating better and everything. But really the biggest change was with my family. And, uh, and that's where yeah. I think it's, it's most important is with those that, like you mentioned before, those who are most important to us. If we are present with them, then it's going to be uh, the biggest change in our lives. Well, Janelle, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. If people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? I'm on all the social media platforms. Um, I have a website, JanelleMcCauley.com, that people can reach out to me through. Um, but yeah, I would love to engage more with your audience and happy to you know, share more information or help them along their journey. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. And thank you for what you do in this space, because I know that sometimes it's considered brave and bold, you know, especially in the occupations in the world we live in to really talk about these types of topics and, you know, and, and model them as well. So I appreciate having um, a fellow advocate out there. Hopefully we can make a difference and make a change in the culture. Absolutely. It's, it's an honor. And uh, I, I definitely take it as an honor and a privilege to be sharing these, these messages much like you are. So Again, thanks very much for being on the show. It has been enlightening and powerful. And uh, for our listeners, thanks for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and families and maybe give us a review. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.